Hallelujah. 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 Turn to somebody next to you and just say, I am so glad I'm in the midst of this worship. Come on, encourage one another. Hallelujah. There are so many things that we learn in corporate worship. There are things that are rehearsed here, if I can use that expression. There's always somebody just watching for the first time, somebody else coming into a, an arena of worship that later on finds themselves struggling and feel like they're all alone, that this battle's been lost. And the Holy Spirit will draw you back to moments like these and realize, first of all, you're not alone. Second of all, is maybe somebody else who didn't even realize you were watching them comes to your mind and you're like, Lord, I want what that person has. I want to worship with a liberty, with a joy. I want to know that I know that I know that God, you're real. And that you truly inhabit praise. There are many of us by nature, maybe we're not as open and expressive as others. And you feel like, well, we don't count. Everybody counts. And it is going to that place, the presence of God, whether it's in the, the corner of your bedroom, the back porch, the backyard... You have to get in the truck and drive down the street and find a public park, wherever, and just say, Lord, it's just you and me. I want what I experienced Sunday. I want to worship you like so-and-so. I want to know that there truly is an arena whereby, Lord, I come in there and I am surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And I join in with them and worship you. One more time, would you just lift your hands? You may be helping somebody else right now. The Bible tells us to do this. Lift up holy hands to the Lord. Lord, it seems a little strange to me, but if the Bible says to do it, then I'm going to honor it. Lord, I lift my hands. To me, it's almost like spiritual antennas. There's just something about, it's, there's a, see, it's all about uplifting. And it is true, when we lift him up, we're lifted up at the same time. Right now, with hands lifted, would you also lift your voice? If it's something as simple as, Jesus, I love you. I love you. And I want to experience your love. I do want to grow in this thing. I want to know, Lord, that you do know me. See, that's where it comes down to. It's got to get real, folks. It's got to be personal. And we learned that at times of corporate worship. Another reason why we gather like this comes out in what I feel like the Lord would have me share with you today. So I'm going to start off this way. There was one of the games that I played as a child with neighborhood friends.
It's a game called Red Rover. You mean that just wasn't in Ohio? It, the word got out? Who knew? For those of you that may not know Red Rover, it is two teams standing opposed to each other. By rule, they should be 20 to 30 yards away. The reason that is is because these two teams will continue to oppose each other. And in the game, it's quite a visual to this, each team will join hands in a sign of unity and solidarity. The rules actually say that you cannot clasp up to elbows. It is hand to hand. The other team is opposed with the same position, the same posturing. And in this game, after the two captains have been selected, it is the second captain that gets the privilege of starting the game, and they call out to the other team, Red Rover, Red Rover, and they select an individual. We want Mark to come over. And in that, he has been summonsed. Now, with that distance, he has the privilege of walking or running full gate into this line of unity. Of course, he will not come into person to person. It is, he's to break into where the hands are clasped, to break that bond. The game Red Rover goes on and on and on until one team completely defeats the other, or for us, time restraints would say who has the most on the team when time has elapsed. In this, if Mark is able to come and break the unity, man, this will preach, folks. He then gets to select one of the two, the gate where he went through, and take them back to his team. If he is captured, and he did not break the bond of unity, then he now joins this team. It is the picture that's going on and has been going on forever, as long as there's been human beings upon this planet. It is the battle between good and evil. Jesus began to teach on this, and as we look up even the definition of evil, we understand that it means that which is depraved, that which is wicked, that which is morally wrong. And we've got to hear that in this hour. For there is much evil around us, surrounding us. It is that which is immoral. It is that which is accompanied with misfortune and suffering. Evil brings these things with it. Synonyms would be things such as that which is vicious, that which is pernicious, that which is nefarious, that comes in with the darkness. This is the battle of good versus evil. 
At times in each one of our lives, we would say, yes, I have been right in the midst of that which is evil. That evil had an assignment against my marriage, my child, my home. Can I have a witness in the house? Those times where we say there is no doubt there's been an assignment of evil to destroy me, my marriage, my child, that which I've worked for. Some of us would say we've seen the assignment of evil against the house of worship, and we've watched churches take great hits as Red Rover goes on. As the enemy taunts and says, we select you, we want you to come over to our side. I know that we've also always got Star Wars fans, and there's always the dark side. That is summoning. That's saying, come and join us, and we'll, we'll conquer the world. This battle is continuing. Jesus was dealing with this with Pharisees, and he simply says that no kingdom, no city, no house. Any of these things divided against itself will be able to stand. United States of America, you better be listening to the words of Jesus right now. It is a spiritual red rover going on. There is a spirit of division that is not just this nation. It is global. We are now seeing exactly the words of Jesus when he used the words that you, in the beginning of sorrows, will see kingdom against kingdom and nation against nation. You notice that's not the word country, it's nation. It's people groups against people groups. And if you listen to the culture, it is now pivoting this group against this group. Whether it's education, whether it's gender, whether it's skin color, this is a spiritual war of Red Rover going on. Can I hear an amen in the house? Jesus went on and he literally called them an evil and adulterous generation. That it can get into an entire generation. I want you to turn with me as you stand. We're going to read the word of God together. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. He's been sharing all these things. He finally says, and this same evil generation will seek for a sign, and no sign will be given to them except that of Jonah. Of course, that was depicting what Jesus would go through where Jonah was in the bowels of a great fish for three days. Jesus was in the bowels of the earth for three days. Verse 43 of chapter 12 simply says, And when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but it finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also it will be with this evil generation. Let your word speak to us, Lord. Let it speak to us now. Let us get the message clearly in Jesus' name. Before you see to turn to at least two others and just say, 
I'm ready to receive. Many of us have been churched for a long time. There are others of us, it's a new thing. There are some streaming that are just observing. There are people that we encounter that are completely ignorant of anything of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we use church language, to many people, it's as if we're speaking a foreign tongue because they don't know. They've never heard. And yet when you come to the subject of that which is evil, there's an understanding. We all have experienced evil. We've all seen it, smelled it, tasted it, felt its impact. We've all been a part of it. We know there are levels of it. There will be some that would say, well, it's just words. There's no real evil. Well, the Bible describes the ringleader, the captain of that Red Rover team on the other side. And his name is what? The devil. If you look at his name, it's filled with evil. There is a devil loose. And his cohorts, and they are joined together, very united, and they're summoning, come to our side. Is there a reality of evil? Well, the Bible believes there's a reality of evil. In Genesis, the beginning of all this, there's a snake that shows up in that first garden. And the snake speaks to the woman and tells her, if you will take of this, you won't surely die. Your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God. I believe that that woman just right there hit pause and didn't hear anything else that snake said. I get to be like God. It's the same trick today. But if she would have listened closely, she would have heard the complete sentence, you shall be like God and you shall know good and evil. I wonder how many today with the sign of hand say you know good and evil. Now, not necessarily the difference between all the time, but we know good and we know evil. We've seen it in our spouses. We've seen it in ourselves. You laugh too soon. You've seen it in your children. So cute and cuddly for the first few months, and then they turn into something different. Where did they learn that? Talking back to me. Where did they learn that language? Where did they ever become so stubborn? There's evil. In the... Recording of Genesis, we also find a great flood many of us call Noah's flood. And the Bible simply tells us that the intentions of our heart are evil from our youth up. Nobody's exempt. If you want to have a moment of clarity, turn to somebody next to you and say, they're talking about you. <laughs> Some of you have been waiting for that moment, by the way. 
The 23rd Psalm, we know it well. Oh, I could go to several different scriptures, but you'll see again the Bible is speaking of the reality of evil. And the psalmist says, likened unto a sheep with this great shepherd, because I have that shepherd and he's in my presence, I will fear no evil. When Jesus was teaching us how to pray, we call it the Lord's Prayer. I really like the title, it's the Disciples' Prayer, because I think you find the Lord's Prayer in John 17. But that which we find in Matthew 6, known as the Lord's Prayer, again, it gives instruction about this thing of evil, and it simply tells us that we are to, that he is able to deliver us from evil. In Proverbs chapter 6, you'll find what God hates. God says, I hate That's a strong word. I can remember my mother telling me, you can't ever use that word. I said, well, God did. That didn't go so well. God hates six things, yea, seven. And in the list, God hates the feet that rush to that which is evil. We find it over and over and over, the Bible confirming that there is such a thing called evil. Red Rover, Red Rover. Jennifer, will you come over? Lance, will you come over? Christy, will you come over? We're calling you. The battle continues. You see, the nature of evil is always present. When it comes to evil, understanding then what is our position? Well, it's pretty clear. The Bible simply says of Jesus, we've just studied this, those that have been following with midweek manna as we've studied Hebrews. Hebrews 1 and 9 speaks of Jesus being better, being superior to everything they'd ever known. Why would we abandon him? And it spoke directly of his character and says he loved righteousness and hated wickedness and that which is evil. But it didn't leave that alone because in Psalms 97 and 10 speaks to us that we are to love the Lord and hate evil. Paul later on comes along, and we know it in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 22. What is it? Come on, you know it. That we are to hold on to that which is good. I want to be on this team. I want to be clasping with the good, my hands, and do that which is good, to be a part of a good work, a good communication, and to abstain from the the very appearance of that which is evil. You see, the nature of evil is enticing. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin. It doesn't deny it. It's mesmerizing. We find even those first creations, Adam and Eve, and it is Eve, but Adam is no different when enticed with that which it was the embodiment of evil. And the Bible says she looked upon that fruit 
and it was delightful to the eye. It has an allurement to it. You see, today we understand well there's a marketing of evil. It's constantly put before our eyes, whether through social media or just through what other people are wearing or what we're listening to. It's being marketed. If you will just do this, you'll be a part of the in crowd. Oh, I know I shouldn't go too far with this because I might make somebody upset. But we've also watched our commercials since we've been youth, watching a sporting program, and, oh, we'll be promoting the, the alcohol, and it's all about a party. It's all about the beautiful women and the handsome men. And if you're a part of this, man, I mean, and this is the expression, we party like hell. Well, there's no party in hell, folks. But there's an allurement that'll get you there. Red Rover, Red Rover, come on over and party. It's always put before us. No matter what your age, whether it's a midlife crisis, there are those things that to us is enticing. There's this war going on. I want to go. I want, I want them to call my name. Sometimes when I'm back here, I get tired of seeing the same old, same old faces. Being a part of the same old things. That looks fun over there. Sure is quiet in the house today. Are you also quiet streaming right now? I believe you are. It's always before us. I'm amazed, as old as I am now, as long as I've been preaching, to hear of others that the itching ears are always standing in line to hear speak to them. Oh, no, well, you can get to this place where you're beyond temptation. You've, you've been serving the Lord too long. You, would, you, you, you don't need any of this other. That's just, that's for ministries. It's just reaching people that's never heard. Now, I'm good. Don't be snared by the beckoning of the other side. Red Rover, Red Rover, come on over. The arrogance that can fill us, the pride that I can do this, I can handle it. I've got plenty of distance to pick up ahead of steam. I'm going to pick out those two little scrawny ones on the end. I can break their clasp, and then I'll be the hero. I'll drag one of them back with me to our side. Boy, it's quiet. You see, because it's real. There is evil. I'm reminded of another story in the Bible, the man of God, Elisha, with his servant. And that servant just felt like, you know what, that side over there, they've been growing in number, and we can never defeat them. 
Let's just cave in. Let's just give in. And the man of God prayed, Lord, would you help him for a moment? Let his eyes get opened because he needs to see that there is good and evil. And about that time, the servant's eyes were awakened to the dynamics of the kingdom of heaven. I don't know about you, but I think he had a Pentecostal fit in that moment. (laughs) There had to be dance coming to those toes that started making his feet want to dance with him. And he looked at the master prophet and he says, greater are those that are with us on our team than those that we're opposing right now. Why would I ever want to go to the other side? Greater are those that are with me. I'm going to stay put. But his eyes were opened in that moment to good and evil. When it comes to this passage here, it tells us of unclean spirits that can possess a person can control their life to influence them. And when there is a deliverance where that unclean spirit is evicted, with its little attitude, it goes off, okay, I'll just find somewhere else to go, but can't find a place. It's always the same story. I'll go back to that which is familiar. I know that place where I dwelt, I know that person. And yes, I got evicted, but you know what? I'll go, I'll pick up some more off my team. And we'll go back to that place. And the Bible describes it clearly. Seven more, even more evil than himself. You see, when he came back, he realized, oh, there's been a deliverance and the house is swept clean. But you see, that's not enough to do a good thing. It's not enough just to do a humanitarian thing, to clean up a few things. It's crystal clear what Jesus was teaching. That house has to be dwelt with something. Now that the first tenant's been evicted, fill that place with the Holy Spirit of God. Fill that place with the presence of God. Fill that place with that which is on the good team. Because the battle's going to continue. How many times has someone prayed, maybe in a formal altar in a church building or somewhere else, in a home, in a park, in a backyard, and know that they know, I'm born again, I'm changed I want my desires to change. I'm good only to find himself tempted greater than previously. The enemy's always messing with your head by that time. Well, see, there was really no change. You're not really born again. You're not really saved. You're not really different because you're having the same thoughts. It's the same Red Rover going on. Come over, come over, come over. That's why that house has to be filled 
with the presence of God. That's why we have corporate worship. That's why we encourage one another. That's why we go to his word. That's why we have devotions. That's why we have prayer partners. That's why we do a lot of things because we need to understand the battle continues. In this Western civilization, America better pay close attention to what's going on. Because again, this passage here describes what can happen to a kingdom that no longer is united, a house, a people. If they are not united, they they can't stand. If they are divided against themselves, this nation has known what it is to abandon an unclean spirits, paganism. We've known what it is to have revival in this nation. We know what it is to have awakenings in this nation. We know what it is to have cities affected by a move of God that transforms lives. But the Bible's crystal clear that if we go back, the state will be worse. We've been flirting with paganism. We've been flaunting it. We've been dancing with it. We've been dating it. To accept and tolerate these things which are driven by unclean spirits. Come on, preacher. Red Rover. Red Rover. Just accept this. Come over. We're not all that bad. So what is my role? Well, if you look at that word evil, real close, and transpose it and flip it, instead of E-V-I-L, the secret's there. It's L-I-V-E. The opposite of evil is to live. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life, that you may live and have it abundantly. My role simply found in Philippians 2 and 15 that if we will watch our mouths and be blameless and innocent, to not grumble, he said, you'll be the children of God without blemish in the midst, in the midst of a crooked and a twisted generation. Does this sound like maybe it's describing today? Of crooked, of twisted, of adulterous? I believe so. Would you stand with me today?